Wednesday. So all your Dree teamers out there, all 230 plus of you, we are celebrating you on Wednesday. So make sure you RSVP straight after this, get on there, RSVP. It's going to be an amazing night. But I'm excited to be here today in the start of our new series, Culture Shift. This is going to be a big one. Oh, uh, this, is, uh, this is our chance to have a look at what's happening in the world and what is our response as church, as God's representative here on earth. So big stuff. It is in a rapidly shifting world, God's word remains the same. So it's going to be exciting. But there's no denying that the last couple of years have been a crazy, tumultuous year for the entire world. I don't think there's everyday life for everyone on the planet has been affected in some way or form. There's been so many issues to think about, lots of issues to be right about. So I actually put it out to our church family on our church Facebook group. What do you guys think that the world is grappling with right now? And uh, we had a lot of uh, things kind of come up. We had, are you ready for it? This could be a bit... We had mental health, anxiety, depression, suicide, broken families, poverty, margins of society, housing crisis, emergency housing, climate emergency, ocean conservation, fast fashion, ethical closing, war-stricken countries, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the global supply chain disruption, fiscal stimulus, hyperinflation, skills shortages, COVID and separated families, job security, inequality, systemic racism, big data, fake news, social media privacy, cyberbullying, moral relativism, outrage industry, hate speech, freedom of speech, cancel culture, woke capitalism, gender equality, gender fluidity, gender education, gender neutral language, the PC culture, Tolerance, acceptance, church hypocrisy. We could go on and on and on because it just feels like in this day and age, there are so many big, complex, heartbreaking issues. Where do we even begin? So, uh, yeah, let's pray. <laughs> God, we thank you that uh, we as a church can open our eyes and look at this. We thank you that you are a God of love. You are a God of compassion who gave it all for this world. God, I pray as we look into this as a church, that you would speak to us both as a church, but also as individuals. God, I pray you would call us to be who you see us to be. Amen. Wow. With so many issues that the world is grappling with, we have so many voices, so many different ideas on what is right. Who is right? Is there any right? Is right subjective? And it feels like, for me, that the whole world is in a state of flux, of disorientation. It's hard to know what to think, what to believe. And in a disorientated world, there's a familiar kind of philosophy tends to kind of come up. I've coined it here, you do you. It's self-centered reasoning. 
I mean, who can be right? You might be right. We all might be, let's just see how it goes. You do you says, just be true to you. Do what feels right to you, because there's no right way. You're the exception to the rule, and no one knows you like you. Only you know what's best. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Well, that last one is a song from the 80s, but it kind of fits in there. <laughs> you do you. It kind of sounds like an okay philosophy, right? As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, right? And if it rhymes, it must be true. You do you. It sounds good. Yeah, it must be true. And if we are honest, I think to some degree, all of us have a bit of that self-centered reasoning, that you do you kind of way of looking at the world. My personality actually loves you do you, especially in the kitchen. I'm the kind of, I'm the open the fridge door and see what we got type, <laughs> what we're gonna make tonight. Luckily for me and for my small child, my wife is not the open the fridge type. She is a find a good recipe and follow it to the letter. And uh, my son is testament to that. He is a healthy, well-nourished boy. At 16 months, he towers over most two-year-olds. So uh, yes, it's a good, I'm glad there. Uh, for me, I like to play a little game when I'm cooking called Guess the Mystery Ingredient. Like Marmite, it's a good, Marmite beef stock, they're kind of the same thing, right? Just to swap them out, yeah, yeah. If you're making um, like uh, honey soy chicken stir fry, LNP. It's got lemon, lemonade, honey, just, uh, just a bottle of LNP in the stir fry. Yeah, it works great. Um, I've even tried dark chocolate and the spaghetti bolognese. Um, yeah. It's fair to say results have been mixed. With the issues of life, though, who are we going to be? Are we going to be the open the fridge and see what happens? Or open the recipe book and follow the expert? With the issues of life, God calls us to be people who open the book when it comes to the issues of life. See the danger of you do you in the kitchen? Those are gastronomical consequences. Maybe a little bit of a weird aftertaste. Hopefully after a couple of days, everything's back to normal. <laughs> the danger of you do you with the issues of life are ideas that don't quite sit quite right. Spiritual consequences. Psychological consequences. Societal consequences. And we see it all around us. We see it at work, where it's like, forget about the big picture, just watch your own back. Just put your nose down and keep clean, don't worry about the big purpose of it all. We see you do you in tough relationships. If they don't like it, that's their problem. They deserve my disdain, and there's no need to make it right. I'll just ignore them. We see you do you in our own hearts. My business is my business, and it doesn't affect you, and it's not really affecting me. I'm fine. I'm the exception, and if it's not hurting anyone else, then I'll do it my way, and I'm comfortable as is. Thank you. You do you centers on self, denies responsibility, and just follows what feels right.
but in a disorientated and self-centered world where all, where everyone gets to decide for themselves what is right. Even our most right ideas have that slight you-do-you aftertaste. It's not new. Even in the days of Jesus, the world was disorientated and self-centered with so many right voices. Here's a few of voices that were identified by the biblical scholar Harold Wilmington. We had the, we've got the Galilean nationalists. They're all about Galilee for the Galileans. We've got the Herodians. They're the law and order people. They're like, you know what? The Roman oversight is actually okay and it's the way of the future. We had the Levites. They were the temple elites. They know that we are special. We are the exception. We have the Pharisees. They're the traditionalists. We must stick to the ways of Moses, to the letter of the law. The Sadducees, they're the aristocracy. Funny thing is they don't believe in the afterlife, but that's actually fine for them because they're rich. They've got everything. Everything's fine for them, so they don't need to worry about that. Then we have the Samaritans, the half-bred outsiders. Nobody wants them around. They don't belong here. So many voices, all with their own version of what is right. But who is right? And Mark 12 and Matthew 22 and Luke 10 all tells of the same story. They all came to Jesus to suss out Jesus. Who's this new voice? And who, is he a Herodian? Which, which, which narrative is he going to support? So they all come around and ask him tough questions to see where he sits. Is he the enemy or is he someone that is on their side? So the uh, Herodians chuck him some tax law in there, some tough political curly questions. Sadducees come in with questions about the afterlife, even though they don't believe in the afterlife. I don't know what's going on there. But all his answers intrigued them and they just sounded different they impressed them so we read from mark 12 so one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that jesus had given them good answers he asked of them of all the commandments which is the most important the most important one jesus answered is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. One, love God. Two, love people. Who's heard that passage before? Anyone read that passage before? There must be a few people who have heard that passage before. Yeah, you mean to wave? It's not new to us, right? And Luke 10, though, Jesus takes it a bit further. From verse 29, he says, but he wanted to justify himself. Maybe he's thinking, I've got this. I've been following that. I'm a loving guy. You just ask any of my mates, I'm a loving guy. I'm a great guy. So Jesus, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going from, down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, 
beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, happens to be a priest in the room right now, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Maybe too caught up in his self-interest, his you-do-you. This is not my responsibility. I've got priestly things to do. So too, a Levite. He came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. This is way too messy for me. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. In one miraculous moment, ignoring the complicated issues of history and theology and cultural rules, just love for God enough to show God's mercy. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Love God with everything you've got. Love people even when it's costly and inconvenient. Now, I don't know about you, but even after a lifetime in church and ministry, that still cuts. This is not a comfortable lifestyle. This is a sacrificial mission. I can almost see the law expert so smug that he had the right answer, only to realize how deep it goes, that it's not about who's right. It's about God's love. And did, this, did Jesus have to use a Samaritan as an example of God's love? A Samaritan is everybody, everything that he is glad he is not. He's a teacher of the law. He lives his life at the temple. And Samaritans don't even go to the temple. They worship God on the hills. Samaritans are not even full Jewish. They're this weird half-breed kind of people who are around them. See, he knew what the law was. Love God with everything you've got. Love people, even when it's costly and inconvenient. But Jesus knew just where to press to expose his you-do-you attitude. Here's the kicker for us this morning. You can be right and have all the righteous ideals and still be just you doing you. We've got to realize it's not about you. It's about God's love for people. It's a big ask to love like that. God's love is crazy love. It's reckless love. And your suspicion that loving like that could possibly destroy you is possibly accurate. 
if you miss the first part, which is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's not about you. It's about God's love for people. When you love God first with everything, your eyes fixed on him, suddenly it's not about you anymore. It's simply the love of Christ in you, the love of Christ through you. I mean, your love is nice. Don't get me wrong. Your love, it's nice. But God's love is miraculous. Your love is nice, but God's love is miraculous. You do you loves when it's convenient, when it feels right. But God's love loves even when it's costly and inconvenient. God's love is miraculous. It was God's love in Moses that took him back to Egypt to free the people. It's God's love in Esther that caused her to stand up and prevent genocide. It was God's love in Ruth, God's love in Nehemiah, God's love in that slave girl to the Syrian commander, Nahum, his wife, slave girl, just an insignificant girl, insignificant girl, but God's love brought healing. Even that unnamed boy who brought his lunch one day and Jesus fed 5,000 from it. Obviously, a well-organized mother like Diana, probably organizing a well-nourished lunch, but he gave it up. It's God's love through that Samaritan who let go of generations of animosity to help a Jew in need. So what miraculous thing could happen through you? If you could let go of your you-do-you self-interest and with heart, soul, mind, and strength fixed on God, allow his love through you. Maybe in your workplace, you begin to work for the better of others instead of just defending your own position. Maybe in the foyer after church, you push past the awkward and you talk to someone that you haven't actually talked to before. Maybe in tough relationships, you seek first to understand and take responsibility for your issues and you work for the better. This one here is tough. This is a tough one. Can I just say this? The world needs to know the love of God in you more than it needs another argument on why their right is wrong. Let me say that again. This world needs to know the miraculous love of God in you more than it needs another argument on why their right is wrong. Because it's not about you. It's about God's love for people. With God's love in you, miracles happen. I was 19 when I experienced that love for myself. It was the most disorientating year of my life. And it was the love of Christ and Andy Ray, he was a tall, lanky, ginger man who loved Star Wars and NBA. 
my life had beaten me up and left me half dead. This was my big year of independence. I was in a new city, new university, new church. This would be the year that I become a man. But by September, things were coming apart. I started skipping university. I started skipping church. And I was alone in my hostel room on the third floor on the corner of Taranaki and Vivian, paralyzed with anxiety and depression. But it's in that moment, just a simple, Daniel, there's someone looking for you. Heard that from the hallway. Went down the elevator. The doors opened. And there's Andy from church. And in that moment, I was completely lost, completely hopeless with no future. And in that one moment, I just was found. All that was gone and a new future was before me. Andy could have brushed it aside when he realized that I hadn't been to church for a while. He could have think, well, you know, people come and go to church all the time. They come and go. It's probably not my place to go and find out where he lives. That's a bit awkward. That's a bit step beyond. He probably wants to be left alone. But with just a few simple actions... that miraculously turned my life around. All because Andrew loved God enough to see past his own self-interest, his own you-do-you, and loved even when it was costly and inconvenient. This world needs the miraculous love of God in you. Because it's not about you. It's about God's love for people. We really need to take some time this morning just to allow God to speak to our specific situations. To put Jesus at the center of it all is more than a sweet song or a nice Christian lifestyle, a nice theory. It is a devotion to attention fixed on God, all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, all our soul. It's a devotion that will not leave you the same. I so want God to bring his transformation to the church. Uh, yeah, so we can, let's just fix our eyes on God right now. Fix your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength on God. Lord God, right now, Lord, we still our hearts and we wait on you. Thank you for bringing us to this place. We thank you that you see, you see my every fear, my every frustration, my every longing, my desire, my heartbreak. But right now, I surrender my will. I surrender my great ideas, my excuses, my blame, and I ask for your grace, for your love. Lord, please show me through your eyes what you see in my world. May I be a reflection of your love and your grace to the world around me.